listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible, open up with me to Psalm chapter 27. And this morning, we're starting a new series called Best of the Best. And we have this, we have this short window before Christmas. And, uh, and then in January, I'm going to be off for a few weeks because the elders would like me to take a short sabbatical. So I was like, what can we do after the series that we just had in Ecclesiastes? I want to build off of that series and I really, as I prayed about it, I felt led by the Lord to go into a series where we look at some of the best of the best verses in the Bible. Verses that are, that are just for your life. Uh, life verses that you can build on, that you can build your identity on. And Ecclesiastes, what we just finished going through, was about finding your purpose. And you can't find your purpose through the stuff in life that everything under the sun is, is ultimately empty in that sense if you try to use it to fulfill you. Why? Because we are created in God's image. We have eternity in our heart, and we are meant for so much more. So at the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. In that message of, of Ecclesiastes, we saw it over and over again. Don't live for the things of this life. But at the same time, God still wants you to enjoy those things, find enjoyment in those things as you use them to worship him. And we aren't simply living for this life, we're living for the next. And so even in those simple, monotonous moments of life, we can worship God, we can enjoy his presence. And where else in scripture can we go from there? If we're talking about purpose, if we're talking about life verses. Well, hopefully you're there with me. It's Psalm 27. Please follow along as I read the first three verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. What an opening. What an opening in this psalm that David writes. These are the words of David before he became king, before he ascended to the throne of Israel. And you can feel the intensity and the suffering just as you read between the lines of these opening words. Just think about that. Do you see it? Do you see it there? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh? Ever felt that way? Though an army encamp against me? Now, uh, you have probably never had an army encamp against you and been a fugitive on the run having the king, where David here has King Saul going after him because he didn't want to lose his throne. I've never experienced that. I've never had an army encamp against me. I don't think really probably anyone in here has. But to a certain degree, we, even though may, we may not feel the heat to the same degree David is right here, we have all had similar feelings. Everyone's against me. Nothing's going, going my way. You know, this is probably not the way David pictured his life going when he was a shepherd. Samuel came and told him, you are chosen by God to be the next king. He, he trusts God. He obeys God. He's making the right decisions with his life, right? He goes, he slays Goliath. How did it come to this? I, I can just see David thinking in, in, his, in his own human self, like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> Where's the promise, God? What's going on? But did you catch David's tone? Because even though he had to have felt that to some degree at some point along the way, that's not what we see here in Psalm 27. It's not a woe is me. Why, God? How, how, can, how come you're treating me like this? Like, I don't get it. Listen, like, now that you know the context, listen to it again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though war arise against me, in verse 3, yet will I be confident. Who wants that kind of boldness? I mean, seriously, right? Every single one of us in this room. He has no fear of what man can do to him or say to him because he fears God. But how do you get that? How do we get to this point in our lives? Look at the next verse of David here in Psalm 27, verse 4. This is what many Bible scholars who've studied the life of David, a lot of people go back and say, this is the life verse of King David, because this is why we call him a man after God's own heart. Right here, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What an amazing verse. I'm calling today's message, One Thing. The reason David had no fear of anything or anyone other than God was because he had a singular passion which led to a higher purpose. And in my own life, as as I've been studying this this week, I love this verse. This verse has meant so much to me, and I just want to share a little bit of my my story briefly here. I'm not going to even go into half of it, but... um, Of course, I've never been a fugitive. I've never experienced the same stuff that David has experienced, the psalmist here. But my story is similar to probably most people in this room. Many of us have been in a place where I was at uh, after college. I finished undergrad. I was in seminary. I was finishing that up, and I was just stuck. I was confused. I was trying to do the right thing, but I was seemingly going nowhere, Um, working for another year, doing the same thing that I had just done and I didn't, I didn't want to do. You know, I was, I was like saving up as much money as possible for hopefully a ring, for hopefully a girl one day to put it on her finger. So I'm like eating cheap. I'm like going nonstop. And then I'm like, wow, I'm really not getting paid enough. And life is just rough. Like I can't get, get into the ministry like I wanted to. I remember at that time I, uh, I volunteered at my church. So I was part of the youth ministry. I was one of like, eight other youth sponsors, but I'm there, I'm trying to like minister to kids, but it's like, wow, do they even really need me here? I signed up to teach Sunday school and they're like, well, hey, you know what? You're not married, but we have this guy, everybody has to be married to teach Sunday school. So you can be the backup person and you can just kind of be crowd control. So I'm in the fourth grade boy Sunday school class as the guy who's just sitting there um, listening to somebody else teach. And okay, I mean, it's fine. Like I did it, right? But I just felt like, I want to do more, God. Like, I have a desire to do so much more. I, I think you've equipped me. I think I can do more. Where, where is this going? What is going on? The best offer I had at the time was from a church in Florida that wanted to have me start a college group at the, at the University of Florida, but there was no salary. There was nothing. I mean, it was like, okay, so I can move here all by myself, knowing no one, and then get another job, and then start this college ministry. That's, that, I could do that, but I didn't, I didn't feel led to do that either. Like Nothing in me felt like that was God calling me to that, that ministry in particular. So I'm sitting here confused, frustrated, at all my friends are getting married or seriously dating. And I remember at that time just thinking, God, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? I know um, this wasn't the only time in my life I felt this way. There's been a lot of similar situations, numerous times, really, where I've, I've had feelings like this. But, and I know a lot of you are in a similar place. To some extent, I even feel like that to a small degree, even right now. You know, over a year, we've been looking for a, a church building that we can, that we can actually you know, grow in and, and really invest in the community and just be a lighthouse, like a city on a hill, like... I've been craving that for so long, but it's not happening. And you, you can't do everything you want to do. We can't see the, we, we haven't seen the fruit that we want to see. And it's just like, what, what are we doing wrong? This is an amazing church. So there's always things like that. I'm sure there are things like that for you too, right? 
Well, back when I was in this period of my life, right at the end of seminary, um, I remember I just got in my car and I went for a drive because I was just frustrated. Ever done that before? Back when gas was cheap, you could do that. Um, and you know, you know the way it is here in South Carolina. It's like you have Greenville and Spartanburg, and I, I like to think of it as, you know, this is like people around here. They'll wear Levi's, right? But as soon as you get past like Greenville, Spartanburg, very quickly the accents start getting thicker. It's not long, it's not Levi's country anymore. It's more like Wrangler's country, and like you get out in the sticks really fast. But I just wanted to do that. I was like, I'm just gonna get out on an old country road drive somewhere where there's gravel. I was listening to music, and eventually I turned on some Christian music, and then I turned that up, and I just parked off the road. There was this like big you know, f you know, wooded area, kind of, and I was just like, let me go explore this. I pulled off into the, into the woods. No one's around. I'm just singing, and I start crying, crying out to God. I'm in prayer, asking him, what am I doing? What are you doing, God? And as clear as day, I hear in my heart Psalm 27. And I had read this passage recently. You know, I had read it. It was great. But I just, I just had this imprint to open up my Bible to Psalm 27. And I did. Look at these next two verses. I was, I'm going to read them again. These next two verses. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So we've all been in these kind of places, right? Whether it's your career, whether it's limitations with the money, whether you look around and, and you see, you know, everything I'm trying to do isn't working. I don't have time to spend with the people that I want to spend my time with. I can't seem to get over these obstacles. I have an idea of where I want to be, but is it ever going to happen? Am I just, cut out? Am I just not cut out for this? And what can easily happen in those situations when we don't look at this verse and what it's saying is we can turn our focus inward and we can try to solve the problem ourselves. It's a very dangerous place to be because we're so focused on what we want, even good things. You know, like I need more money so I can do more things for God's kingdom. I, I want more time with my kids. I don't know whatever it is, whatever it is for you. It's a good thing. You want to do more of that. I want a bigger platform so I can, you know, make, make a difference. Great. But when we, when we turn our focus inward and we try to solve the problem, what we can do is we can easily forget how everyone else around us is affected. And we can take that issue and we can try to solve it ourselves, but then in doing so, we create a problem for those around us who love us, who are close to us. And the solution is not really fully met, maybe temporarily, but it's really created another problem. So you can think about how this isn't working for me, and then you can actually end up making it worse for yourself by alienating or isolating the people around you who want to be part of the solution. Very dangerous position to be in. How do you get out of that? It's right here. It's, it's what David is, is saying in Psalm 27. And this is the verse that lifted me up and changed my entire outlook. It's not about just finding the right ministry position to go into, the right career path. The most important thing for me right now is to get to know my God better, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to dwell in his presence. If you get that, if you find the presence of God, these other problems are going to be resolved. So this is part of my testimony. And, you know, when you just start praying, God... I want whatever you want me to do. It's not like I have the solution in my mind. I think this would work. Instead, before you go there, take it to him. Seek him first. 
It doesn't have to look like my dream. God, I just want, I want you to do in my life what you have for me because your way is best. Another verse that parallels this verse is another verse that was an anchor for my soul in this exact season, Psalm 37, four, four through five. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Do you see that? When you are delighting yourself in the Lord, when you are focused on him and you are seeking his presence, what does he do? He changes your desires into his desires and he gives you the desires of your heart. So I learned then and there, and God continually reminds me of this every few years, I get a refresher on it, that my life is Jesus Christ's and I have to trust him. And as I delight in him, he changes me and these problems that I have don't feel so heavy because he is greater. He, he's the best. Nothing else matters as much as your relationship with Jesus Christ. One thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after. And I don't know who exactly needs reminded of this today. I would venture to guess most of us do. You know, even the people who already have this verse memorized and you made a sticker out of it and you slapped it on your water bottle and Jesus' number one is your password on all your devices, you can never get enough of this verse. This is the life verse of King David. And David persevered through intense affliction because of his adoration of the Lord. Adoration of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will truly carry you through the afflictions and the obstacles and the problems that you face in this world under the sun. Adoration conquers affliction. And this is so crucial to understand. You are not going to fix all your problems. You can fix some of them some of the time. And many times when you think you fix them and you... Um, and, and in your pursuit of finding a satisfaction, what usually happens is, again, you just make life harder for someone else. You can temporarily fix it, but it only leads to something else breaking down. And it's in the difficulty that we discover what we truly desire the most. It's really where it's at. It's in the difficulty. That's when we really see where our heart is at. In this verse, David gives us the blueprint for affliction, conquering adoration. He shows us exactly how to find boldness and confidence in seeking the presence of God. So look at the first point today, dwell in the house of the Lord. This is number one. This is David's singular pursuit. In the midst of running from cave to cave, this is what he thought about. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So I have to ask, is this your go-to when you feel stuck? You know, we're going to pray as a church for a new building next Sunday. But you know what? We should be praying even more. And, and I've, I've noticed this about myself this week. Instead of just praying for that, I also need to pray just as much, if not more, probably more, for the presence of God here right now. <laughs> and for God's presence every day of my life to seek his presence. I'm not assuming that you don't ask this question, but it still has to be asked. Do you believe his presence is the solution? Or do you think it's something else under the sun, some other lever that you can pull? Now, now keep this in mind as well. At this time where David says, dwell in the house of the Lord, the temple has not been built yet. David was the one who would build the temple years later. But this isn't a grand, majestic building. That was coming. At this point, the tabernacle would have been the closest thing David experienced to the house of the Lord. The tabernacle was a tent. It was nice. It was orderly. People were very serious about the tabernacle. But when he says dwell in the house of the Lord, what he's thinking about doing would be making a sacrifice to God in the tabernacle. And this is very crucial to understand. Whenever you, you see the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament, 
What did that center on? What is at the core of dwelling in the house of the Lord? You may be thinking right now, well, okay, the equivalent for us is like going to church, gathering God's house. And you'd be partially right if that's what you're thinking. He cared about this more than anything else. But why is, why is it only half right to say, okay, this is the same as like going to church on Sunday? Well, you can gather in God's house and still go for the wrong reasons, right? You can still make it about yourself. You can still make it about benefiting yourself. But there's something much deeper going on here when he says dwell in the house of the Lord, clearly. Because whether it's a tabernacle or a temple, that experience, listen, always centered around the atonement. That's the key. When an Old Testament saint gathered at the temple to worship God, it was looking forward to the promised Messiah. There would be a sacrifice that was made, a spotless lamb to make atonement for your sin against God. And that was an act of worship that pictured the promised Messiah. The sinless, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who would offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. They knew when they went to the temple, they were making atonement for their sin. They were, they were having a worship experience where they were making a sacrifice to God to engage their mind and their perspective on, I am weak, I have sinned, but God is sending a Savior. They were looking forward to that. Now for us, we're after the cross of Christ, right? So we are looking back at the atonement. We know the atonement for our sin was made by Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. So whenever you see in the Old Testament this language of the temple, the tabernacle, think atonement, right? And the New Testament equivalent of the atonement is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. That's what he's dwelling on. He's the same thing that you should be dwelling on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a good word this is, dwell. He's craving the presence of God by focusing on the love of God. We're doing that at Calvary. He's doing that as he looks ahead, but he's dwelling there. What do you think of when you think of the word dwell? Do you do a lot of dwelling? Pretty much the opposite of our culture. We live in a culture, right, that we have a holiday coming up where, I mean, I think the main focus of Thanksgiving is dwelling. You're with, you're with family, you're with friends, you're in a home, you make a meal, you relax, you don't have anything else to do. You can talk, you can give thanks to God, you can pray. I mean, that is a, that is a laid back, non-commercialized holiday, right? But what happens? We're in a culture where we anticipate, anticipate, anticipate October 31st. Super fun. Yay, hooray. I'm, I'm not against that. Have fun with it. And then we flip the switch and we go on to the next thing, December 25th. And I feel like every year Thanksgiving gets more and more overlooked. It's sad. I mean, that's a holiday for you to actually sit back, relax, there's not as much stress. And so I know some of the ladies in the room are thinking, well, yeah, you don't have to cook a, a turkey dinner, right? Well, okay, I'll give you that point. So maybe your husband shouldn't just be watching TV all day, and maybe he should lead the home and help out with some of that stuff, right? I know some of the men in here. I see Matt. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's helping out, right? Lead your home. Set something up. Don't just have your kid go play video games all day in his room by himself on Thanksgiving Day, right? Let's, let's talk about having a family time together where we focus on all the amazing things God has given us. I, I'm using it as an illustration. It's very true. I'm using it as an illustration to show you how bad we are as a culture at dwelling, slowing down and actually focusing on something, relaxing, and not just go, 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 run, run, run to the next thing. My son Beckham plays soccer. He has a soccer tournament this week. I, we went to Charlotte yesterday. I took him up there. We woke up at 5.30 in the morning, drove him up. He played a couple games, came back. Most of the team, they got a hotel. Um, we didn't do that. For one, we have three kids in Christian school, so we're not, we're not doing that. But like, 
I mean, it'd be very easy to go out, spend the whole day, get a hotel, have fun, you know, go out to eat, rush back, rush back, and then you get back late Sunday night and off to school the next morning, right? Like, that's people's lifestyle. We didn't feel led to do that. It's like, hey, let's come, get home on Saturday at 3. Unwind, relax, prepare your heart for worship. We're coming to dwell in the house of the Lord to find his presence. This is better. This is the best thing I can do. This is the best part of my week. Now, I'm not against going to places and doing fun things. Of course not. But there's a lot of important life lessons to be learned, you know, and memories to make and all of those things that you do. Of course, you know, let the Lord lead you. Be led of the Spirit and do that, but just find balance. And what I'm saying is it's very hard for us to dwell and slow down. You have to fight for that. So you're going to have a great chance of doing that in the next few weeks. Find a time to do it. Hang out in your house. Get creative. Talk. Make meals. Cook. Clean. Read a book. Create a game. Just do whatever you have to do to slow down and do that. Maybe that sounds too good to be true for you. But we have to see that this is something that we must do to really find the presence of God. Because if we go, 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 and we never slow down, you're, what are you missing? You're, you're not able to hear from him and to worship him like you should. I have to say, too, personally, I, I'm the go, go, go type of person. I'm naturally wired to want to do more things, even on vacation or a holiday especially. It's been, in the years past, I'll be the first to admit it's not great. I get, a, I get a little yancy, uh, antsy, I should say, at, at home. You know, it's like I, I want to go do something instead of just slowing down. It's the achiever in me, and my, all my fellow threes can attest to that. But we all need to slow down and dwell with our God. And what David is alluding to is finding shelter in the haven and the safety that Jehovah God provides. He's talking about relationship. All the days of my life, He's craving spending time with God. God is in the rhythm of his life. And here's another key. This is where so many of us miss it. The most important thing isn't just doing things for God. The most important thing is spending time in his presence. So how are you doing on that one? Is it easier for you to do things for God? Or would you rather just spend time in his presence, spend time with God. At our kids volunteer meeting this, this week, we were all at the Mangum house and Ashley was there, Ryan was there, it was so great. They hosted like, we had like 20 of our volunteers. I was like, they just, it just made me so happy to see, here's our adults that, are, that love pouring into the children of this church. On a Tuesday night, we're gonna show up at someone's house and yes, it was cozy and yes, there were great hot beverages, but but at the core, we wanted to be better at pouring into our kids. And Ashley talked about the very similar theme. She, she talked about how to be a Mary in a Martha world. And as, as whether you're a kids volunteer and you're teaching the children or whether you're not doing that ministry, you're doing a lot of other things, the point is always there. Slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. Seek his presence it's not just about doing things for him. It's about knowing him. You want to have peace in the storm? Well, I mean, it comes down to what is your one thing? What is the thing you care about passionately the very most? It's very easy to get caught up in doing things for Jesus. And, and before you know it, you stop doing them for Jesus. You thought you were but now you're actually do, using Jesus to do things for yourself. It happens to pastors. It happens to leaders of any type. It happens to parents. It happens to single adults. And why is it so common? It's because your greatest desire is fruit, success, achievement, rather than the presence of God. All good things, but they should be the byproduct, not the source. Fruit is the byproduct of walking in the Spirit. 
Success and victory is the byproduct of knowing God, resting in him, and finding strength through him. You can accomplish a lot of things, but if you're doing it in your strength and you were forging ahead and you were pushing your body, you're striving and you're eventually going to break down. So start with the number one thing, to dwell in the presence of your Lord. You need this on Sunday. You need it every other day of the week. It's the first day of the week. Let's set the tone for the rest of your life. Starting Monday. So don't put making extra money over this. I mean, there's one thing to make the money that you need. I understand that. And sometimes that when you have a job that you can't control, I get that. I'm not trying to guilt anyone. But don't put any of these other things over dwelling in the presence of your Lord. Even your kids or your American dream, whatever it is. Gather in his house. And right now for us, that's Sunday morning. And we sang some amazing songs that were all pointed in worship directly to him. It was incredible. You can't beat that. Look what else he says about this next. You, you can't miss this point. Number two, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Do you have time in your day to do that? Because you have to. I mean, think about how much David did. You know, he was a shepherd. It's a very hard job. My life group, the men in my life group on our breakout time, we're, we're reading through a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. There's so much that goes into being a shepherd. It's incredible. And I highly recommend that book, by the way. But he was a shepherd. He was king. And he, he did so many things. He could play the harp. He killed a lion. He could lead an army but he still found time to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And what happens when you don't do this? Well, I can't help but think about David's own life. Since we're talking about King David, the author of this, he too got off track and got his gaze diverted on something else, right? A beautiful woman bathing on a roof. He wasn't gazing upon the beauty of the Lord at that point in time. He wasn't thinking about his relationship with God and dwelling in his presence. He was going after his own sexual desires, right? So when you stop seeking his presence, you fall into the trap of choosing yourself over God. As soon as you make anyone else besides God your number one, you were actually on the track for a bad decision. I mean, that is already a bad decision, but you're headed into more disastrous results. You know, Julie and I talk about this all the time. You know, there's this show we've watched together recently. It's a pretty cringe show. I don't really recommend it at all. I'm not even going to give you the name of it, and I'm pretty much out, but, like, it's in the background sometimes. Um, as I'm, like, you know, messing around with whatever I'm doing. But these people, they're trying to get married, and all they can do as they're trying to get married is talk about themselves. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like a mile away. Like, oh, my word, this person is so self-obsessed. It's everything about me. You're trying to find someone to spend the rest of your life with. You need to get to know that person, right? Do you realize the foundation of having a good marriage is sacrificing for that person? So why is it all about you? I mean, I say that. Because we all have a tendency to do that, though. We're not beyond that, that cringe person on TV. There are a lot of people and things that can divert our gaze off the Lord, and they can even be good things. But as soon as you take one of those secondary things and it overshadows your number one, your relationship with God, now we have a problem. And the good becomes the enemy of the best. And you spend more time obsessing over the gift than you do the giver. There's this, uh, there's this analogy that I, I thought of this week. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's a little rough, but I'm going to go ahead and share it anyway, so stick with me on this. Um, how many of you like to eat steak? Raise your hand. I know some people don't, but hang in there. Most of us love a good steak, right? Um, I like some steak sauce. I remember as a kid, when you first get a couple bites of steak, you know, your, your parents are always like, hey, uh, you know, your, your digestive system can't really handle this, so we're only going to give you a very small portion of this steak. Did anybody else, parents, do that? 
I'm like, I always wondered if that was really true. Like, how, I mean, yeah, sure, it's hard to digest, but like, come on, Dad, I'm, I'm 12 years old. I think I can <laughs> handle a few more than two ounces of this. Um, but he wanted the steak, I know. I love you, Dad. Uh, but no, when you have uh, the kind of steak I had as a kid, it was not, you know, the cut choice ribeye. You know, Angus beef, whatever. I mean, I have a, my brother-in-law. He can tell you all about how to make a steak, okay? He, he has names of steaks that I've never, I can't even remember. They're so, so good. But, but when you have the, you know, the, the middle-class steak, it's not bad to put some sauce on it, right? Who else likes to put sauce on their steak? I do. I love A1 steak sauce. My kids hate it, but I like it. Um, and, it and it makes the steak good. But if you ever get a really, really good steak. I mean, we're talking about the best cut, right? It's, it's grilled to perfection. You know, a little bit of salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of butter melted on top. It's just, it's just that is the kind of meat that you don't want to even put sauce on, right? Who needs that? You could put the steak sauce on the cheaper stuff I and mean, put it on hamburger for all I care. Like, that'll make hamburger taste better, right? But not the best thing. It takes away from the taste of the very best. And I think a lot of times in life, like, we treat God like everything else. Like, oh, yeah, I can put a little, a little sauce on that. Like, you don't need anything extra with God, the presence of God. Amen. That's the number one. Anything else you add on to it is only going to take away from it. So make God your number one. And don't dilute it. One of my favorite songs, I'll tell you this, here's another little story about me, is another song I discovered around the same time as I discovered Psalm 27.4 when I was, you know, 23, 24 years old, uh, was a song written by Keith Green. And I, I know, I, I would imagine most people in the room um, don't know who Keith Green is. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you do. I, I see a few people nodding. Thank you. Like, I mean, you may hear Keith Green, all of his songs written in the late 70s, early 80s, Christian, Christian artist. And you may hear him and think, oh, man, that's so, so dated. And I would just say, how dare you? You have no idea how great Keith Green's songs are. Like, do not trash his music. Whatever you do, you know, just don't say it to my face because I have a very hard time with that. This man wrote beautiful music, and it still stirs my soul. You cannot mess with, the, with his songs. But he wrote a song, Oh, Lord, You're Beautiful. And I know you can have your music tastes. That's yours. That's fine. But this song, they just don't make songs like this anymore. I, wanna, I want you to hear the first verse of this song. It is actually written from Psalm 27. This entire song that he wrote is a reflection of Psalm 27. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. I want to take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. You cannot listen to that song without the Holy Spirit stirring your heart. If you know Jesus and you're doubting your salvation, listen to some Keith Green and feel your heart stirred and then be assured, yes, I am alive. The Spirit is alive in me. So let's put this into practice right now. Let's gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. How do you do that? Well, there, I mean, there are a million different ways to do it. For some people, it means you go on a hike, sit down in a waterfall, waterfall, journal about your relationship with God. For some of you, maybe you just want to go on a run, and during the entire run, you pray, ask God questions, and listen. What is he saying to you? you you're, you're probably not going to hear an audible voice, but he's going to speak to you, and you're going to hear it imprinted on your heart very clearly in the presence of God. For others, maybe you're not a huge nature person. Maybe you're an environment person, so you get your spot. You know, you get your latte or whatever it is. Find your vibes place and you read the Gospels. There's so many different ways to do this. But turn with me to Romans 5. Let's gaze upon the beauty of the gospel for a moment. Romans 5, 8 says, 
For God shows his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 goes on to say, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The truth of the gospel is good for your soul right there. That's the beauty of the cross. Romans, Romans uh, 8, another passage, talking about the cross. I mean, just think about that for a second. The cross, one of the, one of the most vilest forms of torture ever invented by mankind. The Romans invented the cross to bring people under subjugation. They wanted to intimidate people and they wanted people to, to fear them. So they crucified people. God takes that instrument of death and he turns it into the greatest symbol of love and life that there is in the world. The cross. Now it's the cross of Jesus. But he takes our worst and he cleanses us. He takes your brokenness and he heals you. Romans 8, I hope you're there. There, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow. You see it all connected? This is the one thing you must do. If you made a decision to follow Jesus and you're still seeking other things and other people over Jesus, you're seeking pleasure from the things that Jesus gave you, Ecclesiastes will be very real to you. Life under the sun will be empty, right? Even if you do good things, it's still not going to fully satisfy. Spend your most time, your most energy on your relationship with your God. Seek his presence. Gaze upon the beauty of the gospels. Let that motivate you and inspire you to love others and to do your job for his glory. Don't make an idol out of anything else. So we have dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and here's the last piece. It's another one that you will miss if you're not careful. Number three, inquire in his temple. And something that I've seen over the years is people get halfway there on this one. And similar to the first point where it's don't just work for Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Seek his presence as your highest joy. Here's another angle on that. For some Christians, they aren't, tempted to do, they aren't tempted to do more. They are tempted to just know more. Think about that. What do I mean by it? You should have a desire to know him on a deeper level. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with developing into, you know, the knowledge of God, developing your theology, and delving into the depths of the knowledge of the holy. And... Having a craving to know more about him is one thing, but it's, 
but it's different than knowing him. Okay? Do you see the difference there? Just knowing about God is not the same as personally dwelling in his presence, inquiring and knowing him personally. We said earlier, the one thing that's more important than doing things for Jesus is spending time with Jesus. Similarly, knowing about God isn't the same as knowing God. And some of you are more hands-on. Some of you are more experiential. Uh, you know, experiential. I'm naturally more, more, more on the intellectual side than the experiential side. But both of those things, wherever you land on that, where, however you're wired, both of those pieces have to be in harmony and they have to be in balance. The experience can even be misleading at times. I've had a lot of experiences before that were incredible, but they weren't everything. How do you balance those two? How do you do it? Seeking his presence and inquiring, that's another fabulous word. Just like we spent some time on the word dwell, I think we should spend a little time on the word inquire. To inquire isn't just ticking off a few questions off the list that you're obligated to ask in a, to be a polite person in a social setting, right? Like, how's your day? You know, how's the family doing? Okay, good. Hopefully you mean that, right? I wouldn't say that's inquiring, right? Inquiring kind of takes it to the next level. What's the difference between simply asking questions when you really need an answer and inquiring with someone? Okay, I'm, a, I'm, I'm looking for a plumber, and I, I need to ask this plumber a few questions because right now there's some plumbing issues in my house that, that Julie's not confident I can do. I'm actually, to be perfectly honest, I'm not confident in myself to do them. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm looking for someone, and I'm going to inquire. I'm, I'm not going to inquire. I'm just going to ask the plumber what needs to be done. Can you fix this? And honestly, as soon as he gives me the answers I need and finishes the job, I don't really have a need to talk to the plumber anymore. I'm going to get what I need from him and probably move on with my life, and he's going to move on with his life, right? That's a lot different than trying to find someone that you want to marry and spend the rest of your life with. In that situation, you start inquiring. Like, what makes you tick? Like, what are your deepest passions? Like, what's your personality like? How do you feel when this happens? Like, you are inquiring because you want to get to know that person's heart because you're trying to decide if you want to give your heart to that person, right? That's a true dating relationship. I mean, I'm not talking about going to homecoming when you're in high school. Like, that's fine. Have fun. But, like, if we're talking about real dating, it should be inquiring to get to know them on the deepest level. This is what we're doing with God. Inquire in his temple. Does that describe your relationship with God? Or are you more on the, hey, God, I need this. I have a need over here. You know, it's a little, it's a little worse than the plumber issue, but I, I still have this need, God. Can, can you help me? And you ask for that. I need, I need, I need healing, God. Great, I'm, I'm glad you're asking him for the healing. That's a start. But we don't just go to God when we need something. We inquire to get to know him on the deepest level. Worship team, you can come up. And as they do, I want you to take some time and truly evaluate, evaluate yourself. Who is your number one? I know some people who are married might be thinking, okay, it's my spouse. Well, that's a good answer, but it's not a great answer. Like, humanly speaking, great. Your husband, your wife. Not everyone in here is married here. For all of us, though, your ultimate number one has to be your creator and your sustainer, the one who gave you life. Because guess what? Even if you have a great friend or you have a brother or you have a sister or you have a parent or you have a, a spouse, they're human, and they will fail you, and they will mess up. They will disappoint you. It's not the same as your relationship with your God. No human relationship can replace your relationship with God. So 
If your number one thing is anything else, start living this verse. And you know what you can also do when you start living out this verse and you, and you, and you actually literally live out these three points that David just made? You can just watch your stress and your anxiety start fading away. This huge problem, this huge obstacle that I'm frustrated over and I'm trying to take it into my own hands and I'm, I'm lashing out at other people. I'm trying to solve this. Other people are getting wounded because I can't fix it. I'm blaming God. I'm, I'm, I'm just all over the map. Like this is frustrating. Are you dwelling in the presence of the Lord? Are you inquiring in him? Are you seeking what he wants you to learn from this? Have you made that thing more important than the gospel, your relationship with him, his love for you, his sacrifice for you, his forgiveness. We can't miss that. There's nothing better than dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Dwelling in his house, the shelter that only he can provide, gazing on the beauty of his mercy, his justice, his faithfulness, and inquiring to know him deeper. Listen to the next few verses of this psalm. I'll start at verse four again because it's so good. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You ready to do that, church? We're gonna do it in a second. Verse seven, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O oh God of my salvation. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.